The resurrection is our hope. The resurrection is our hope. If you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be back in there. Now, while you're doing that, I'm going to tell you a little story. A mini, mini, excuse me, I was going to say a Mineola couple, or Minneapolis couple, decided to come to Mineola. And so they came to Florida to thaw out during a particularly icy winter. Now, they planned to stay at the same hotel where they spent their honeymoon 20 years earlier. And because of their hectic schedules, it was difficult to coordinate everything. So the husband let, left Minneapolis and flew to Florida on Thursday with his wife flying down the following day. The husband checked into the hotel, and there was Wi-Fi in his room, so he decided to send an email to his wife because, you know, that's really kind of a loving thing to do is to send an email, right? <laughs> However, he accidentally left out one letter in her email address, just one. And without realizing his error, he sent that email. And meanwhile, somewhere in Houston, a widow had just returned home from her husband's funeral. And he was a minister. And this man was called home to glory following a heart attack. And the widow decided to check her email that day, since she was expecting messages from relatives and friends that had long moved to other states and other areas. And after reading the first message, she screamed out loud and fainted. So the widow's son rushes into the room and he, he finds his mother on the floor and he looks up at the computer and it says, To my loving wife, the subject said, I've arrived. And the date was November 18th, 2004, for those who care. It says, I know you're surprised to hear from me. They have internet here now. And you're allowed to send emails to your loved ones. I've just arrived and have been checked in. I see that everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. I'm looking forward to seeing you then. Hope your journey is uneventful as mine. P.S. It sure is hot down here. <laughs> and now you know why she fainted. So Paul preached the, to the church in Corinth. <clears throat> My best joke and y'all loved it. All right. I think that's the most laugh I've gotten in, I don't know, six months maybe anyway what was that well that's why it's on the internet we'll be all right you notice how i worked the internet in there because it was a joke about the internet you know i had to explain that a little bit yeah okay never mind it's bad when you got to explain your own jokes isn't it so paul <laughs> so paul is back we're back in the book of first corinthians and paul is preaching and teaching to them for 18 months that he stayed, and it was a hard place to be um, because they, they wanted to run him out on a rail, but they seemed to want to run him out on a rail all the time anyway, so nothing new, I guess. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. I'll be reading out of the New King James in the beginning. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up. 
if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ has not risen. And if Christ has not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today and thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your word, for in it we find your truth and your life, which is the truth and the life. And Lord, we lift up your word and we say, Holy Spirit, teach us your ways that we may walk therein. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's life principle, today's main thing, if you get nothing out of this but one thing, this is the one thing that you should know, and that is without the resurrection, we have no hope, and Jesus has no victory. Thank God for the resurrection. Thank God for the resurrection. Because without it, we have no hope, and Jesus has no victory. Number one, you'll be raised from the dead. That's an assurance, whether you are a Christian or not, you will be raised from the dead for the final judgment at least. And 1 Corinthians fifteen twelve says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is worthless. And so is your faith. You know, the Greek philosophers of the day and in that city, um, they would not believe the gospel because they thought that a bodily resurrection of the dead was just plain silly. No one had ever seen that before, so to believe it the way it was preached didn't make much sense to them. So what does one do? Well, if they want to believe in Christ and the miracles that they've seen, well, they begin to do what's called syncretizing which is a big word for it just means to merge two beliefs that are diametrically opposed to each other. And so that's what they did. And they decided to start spiritualizing the resurrection, and they started to say that Christ's resurrection was one of the spirit and not of the body. Folks, let me tell you a little something about uh, this kind of thing. We have people everywhere doing syncretism in our day. And that is merging one's belief with another set of ideals. We have people merging Christianity with the LGBT ideology. We have people merging Christianity and the ways of the world and merging the holy with the profane. Let me tell you some, th some things that we're doing in the churches that should not be done. One, the sex outside of marriage, and two, living with someone outside of marriage. Ephesians 5.3 says, But among you, as is proper among the saints, there must be no even hint of sexual immorality, or, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed. Marriage should be honored, according to Hebrews 13.4, by all in the marriage bed kept undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. This isn't a, a popular stance in the church anymore today, believe it or not, but it is the Scripture. And we don't go by what's popular, we go by what the Scripture says. And also, the biblical definition of marriage, by the way, is starting to not be held anymore by evangelicals across the nation. How can they call themselves evangelicals if they don't preach the Bible? Here are 11 things that the Bible tells us about marriage, real quick. Marriage is ordained and ordered by God. Marriage is a contract and a covenant, which is much more intimate than a contract. You just don't break covenant. Marriage is both religious and it is civil. 
Marriage is both private and it is public. Marriage requires mutual consent. Marriage is for all types of people. Marriage is heterosexual and monogamous. Marriage cannot be between close family relations. Marriage is for life. Marriage is a sexual union and marriage is sacred, but not a sacrament. People today are now syncretizing the belief of God, creating the world um, with evolution. They're equating them and they're trying to create this in their minds and, and it's not going to work. And let me ask you something. And I, and I want you to really think about this. Is the Bible inerrant? Meaning that it contains no errors. Is it inspired? Meaning that it was God who used man to write it. It was God the Most High who inspired the work and made sure that it was inerrant. Folks, those are fundamentals of the Christian faith. And if you can't believe that, then you don't believe the Bible. If you cannot believe that the Bible is inspired and inerrant, then you can't fully trust your own salvation experience, can you? If the Bible is wrong, then who becomes the arbiter of truth? Who decides what is true and for whom? Well, that means that it would fall on you, doesn't it? And to be the true arbiter of truth means you would have to have all knowledge and to be 100% sure of what is God's word and what is not God's word. You would have to be. Otherwise, you couldn't be the true arbiter of truth. And if that's the thing... And if you have all knowledge, and, you, and by definition, guess what? You're not a man, you're God. Guess what, folks? None of us are God. So that doesn't work either, does it? People are saying that the creation was not a literal six days. Well, that doesn't work because when we look at the Hebrew language here, it literally says from one morning to one night, to, till night, to dusk. Six literal days. And on the seventh, we know God rested from all his work, as he tells us to do as an example. To say it is anything but what it says undermines the gospel itself. Think about it. Because if you can't trust what the Bible says on that, then how can you trust what the Bible says about Jesus? The Bible is inerrant. If you're doing this, then don't feel too bad about syncretizing other things, about bringing other ideas. And when I was in high school, I did that too, because we were taught, listen to your teachers. They know more than you. They're wiser than you. They're almost like God to most students. You know, the teacher said it, so it must be true. Just like when the teacher told Leah that there was a Santa Claus, and I said, no, there's not. Well, the teacher must be right, and you must be wrong, Dad. And I told her, well, the teacher doesn't have a master's degree in Christian studies either, daughter. And I also said, by the way, I'm a teacher too. Yeah, but you're just a computer teacher. Okay. So we had a nice, long conversation about that with the teacher. But to say that people aren't doing this in their minds, well, that's wrong. I mean, we've got to think about what we're doing in our minds. We've got to think about whether or not we're undermining the gospel. You know, in a, in a little while I did that too because I was learning about evolution in high school. And I thought to myself, well, how can I make these truths work together? Because the teacher's telling me one thing and the Bible's telling me another. And the Bible was written a long time ago, 
so the teacher must be right. But here's what I found out over the years, and, and even at that time. The science is not settled. The science changes a lot. You see, I was told that an asteroid came down and destroyed the, the wonderful dinosaurs. And, and then I was told a few years later that it was something else. Well, which is it? And that was by science. And then when I looked at the evidence, I found out that man probably did spend time with the dinosaurs. They just died out. Then I would go to church on Sunday and I'd be saying, well, something's wrong. You know, I spent about a year like that until I realized that if I'm a Christian, then I go with what the Bible says, not with what man says. Romans 3, 4 says, certainly not, let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written, so that you may be pro proved right when you speak and victorious when you judge. God is the ultimate arbiter of truth. Not man's ideologies, not man's wishes, and certainly not man's vain imaginations. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now this casting down argument is both internal, and that is in our minds, and it is external. Now when, when trying to show someone you know, that their thinking is in error, I'm, I'm just going to warn you, don't be like, some Christians I've seen, they'll just look at them and go, well, that's stupid, let me tell you why. Okay, I've done that, I apologize. Y'all know my personality by now, you know I've done that and made that mistake. Don't do that, because they've already cut you out. And if you don't think I've made that mistake, just ask my son, he, he'll tell you I've made that mistake. Though you may want to do that, you just, uh, you just made yourself an enemy to them, and you've already lost the battle. The best way is to ask questions that will get them thinking in the right direction on Scripture. Let them come to the point where you can lovingly give them the truth. Well, what about this? Have an answer. The Bible says, have an answer for the reason of your faith. Well, what about that? Have an answer. Matthew ten sixteen says, Behold, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. 1 Corinthians 15, 12, we're going to reread that for a second. It says, now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not risen. And if Christ has not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Now the gospel has been preached with the, with the premise that Christ was physically resurrected from the dead to these people and to us. Because that is the gospel. It is essential to the gospel. If there is no resurrection, then Christ was never resurrected. Which would mean the preaching of the gospel has no power. And neither does your faith. Let me lay some truth on you. If you do not believe that Christ is resurrected bodily from the dead, then you're not a Christian. You see, it is an essential belief of the truth of the gospel. And without it, you don't have the truth. You have a partial truth. Do you know what your next step is then? Uh, repent. Come to Jesus. Receive his grace. Receive his, his truth. And be saved by the true gospel. Because what you've been believing is a lie.
Number two, it is a fact that Jesus, because he was resurrected, is coming back. Some people say, well, it's been 2,000 years and he hasn't been back. Uh-huh, may take another 1,000. That doesn't matter. He promised he'd be back, and he'd be back. 1 Corinthians 15, 15 says, In that case, we are also exposed as false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. If Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then that would mean that we would not be either, doesn't it? And if that's the case, then I'm a false witness, you're a false witness, we're all false prophets, and, and what do we do with false prophets? Some people would say, run away. But in the Old Testament times, as a part of their, their social and law, they would say, stone them to death. That's what they did with false prophets. So it's a big deal. And if Christ is not raised, then what are we doing here today? Why are you here if Christ is not raised? What is the purpose of the church? You may as well do what the world is doing, and if Christ hasn't been raised from the grave, what's the point of life? Matthew 24, 37 says this, though. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they were oblivious until the flood came and swept them all away. So will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Don't be oblivious. Don't do what the world is doing. You know why? Because Jesus was raised bodily and he is coming back. That's why. John 20 verse 26 says, Eight days later his disciples were once again inside with the doors locked and Thomas was with him. Jesus came and stood among them. And he said, peace be with you. This is after he had been raised from the dead. And then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas replied, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. You know what else? He's coming back one day for us too. It was bodily. Thomas proved it. He touched him. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18 says this, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest your sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Folks, he's coming back, and when he does, he's coming back for his bride. 
bride. And he's coming back for a spotless bride. And he's coming back. Why is she spotless? Why are we spotless? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ and his subsequent resurrection, which is our hope. And without the resurrection, there is no hope. If you remember nothing, remember this. As the ladies come, Jesus has the victory over death, hell, and the grave. Oh, wait. I'm sorry. I had y'all come early. (laughs) My apologies. Jesus has victory over death, hell, and the grave. Who has victory? Jesus has victory. Victory over what? Everything. Everything. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says this, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If our hope in Christ is for this life alone, we are to be pitied more than all men. That's pretty harsh. Pitied? Pitied? More than all men? Remember, at this time, there were a lot of religions, and every one of them had a paradise or a place that you would go just about. But here they are as Christians, some of them in the the church of Corinth, and they didn't believe in the resurrection. How pitiable is that? How sad is that? If there is no resurrection then Christ has not been raised. And here is the kicker. You're not saved. You're still in your sins. Why? Because that would mean there's no victory over death and hell and the grave. That would mean that there is no grace. It would also mean that there is no hope for those who died as Christians and there's no real afterlife. There's no reality there's no way you could be a real Christian that you, will, that you would be. But folks, we're not in a pitiable situation. We're not going to be of those who believe that we die and, and end up as worm food. Now, I know that sounds harsh, but I've heard that from atheists before. There will be a reuniting with Christ. There will be a reuniting with those who have gone on before us. No, if Christ did not raise from the dead, then we have no hope. Because of that, if we didn't believe that, we would need to be pitied. Because your belief would be useless and it would be in vain. But you see, that isn't the truth. The truth is... There was and there is and and it is coming a resurrection from the dead. Remember Ephesians 4, 8 and 10, it says, This is why it says, When he ascended to on high, he led captivity away and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the very one who ascended above all the heavens in order to fill all things. We're going to find out later in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. Paul says this, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must be clothed with imperishable and the mortal with immortality. 
when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come to pass. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? And in the last book of the Bible, Revelation, chapter 1, verse 12, and then we'll end it. It says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hair of his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like a blazing fire. And his feet were like polished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. And he held in his right hand seven stars. And a sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun shining at its brightest. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. But he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead, and behold, now I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and of Hades. Our God is not a weak God. Our God is not a God who would let want us to be pitied. Our God is a God who gave us a promise. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place, a room. Jesus didn't leave us in a spot where we should be depressed. Jesus left us in a spot with no matter, no matter what happens in this life, you cannot be separated from him. And he has a place for you. That's our hope. That Jesus has risen from the dead and he sits at the right hand of the Father. And he has made promises. And the Bible says you may see God as slow as his promises, but his promises are not slow. His timetable is different than ours, isn't it? It's got to be. He has no beginning, no end. He lives outside of time and space. We can't fathom that. But thank God for the resurrection, which is our hope. Without the resurrection, we have no hope. And Jesus has no victory. But folks, there is a resurrection. And Jesus is our hope. And he is our victory. Now, ladies, you can come. Sorry, my uh, tablet did a weird thing there a minute ago. We serve a good God. Like I ask, those online, those listening by audio, those that email me, are you sure that you know Jesus? Are you sure he knows you? Matthew 7, 21 says, Not many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in that day? Have we not done wonderful works in thy name? And I will profess unto you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you, you who work iniquity. That means you're still in your sins. You better make sure that Jesus knows you and that he has done a work in you. Because if he hasn't, 
then you're playing church. You're playing Christianity. You're not being the church. You're not being with Jesus. So if you need Jesus today, and you don't know what to say, it's real simple. Oh God, I need you. (laughs) Because it's not what you say. It's what's in your heart. With confession, the mouth is made. Because what's in your heart is going to come out. Do you need him today? If you'd like to join this church by letter, statement, or baptism, we're up here for that. If you'd like a special prayer, we can do that as well. If you'd like me to introduce you to Jesus, you let me know. I'll be up here. I'll be available via email later. We can set up a call. Whatever you need. As we stand and sing the invitation hymn.